I was unpacking our suitcases from our trip to Greece and London. And given that there is a restriction on how much weight one can have in their suitcases, I was surprised to find a rather large stone in one of our suitcases, about the size of a small potato, with grayish white, and was quite heavy. And so I said, did we really carry this stone back from Greece? And the answer I got was, it was really beautiful. It was really beautiful in the water. In that clear, bright water, it shone with beauty. And we wanted to bring back and hold on to something of the beauty and the wonder and the awe that we felt and the joy that we knew at that time and in that place. And so, yes, a heavy, grayish-white stone came home with our family all the way from Greece. My friends, we are made in the image of God. It is a core belief of our Christian faith. The essential dignity of every human being, from the moment we are born, there is an intrinsic goodness to human beings. We are to be respected and honored. We are intrinsically good. To be human is to be a child of the loving creator who made all people to be cared for, to be treated with kindness, to be looked at as sacred. To mean that we are made in the image of God means that God has made us to be icons of God's goodness and compassion in the world. We are to be made in God's image means that we are re to resist anything that would mar God's image in another human being. So we've heard those proclaim that only some are truly made in the image of God and worthy of honor and respect and dignity. And I don't know about you, but most of the time I am just in disbelief. It's just disbelief. At points, anger and fear break through but also a sense of powerlessness. We can march and we can protest and we must find ways to learn about racism and how we can work to heal it. But all of this takes spiritual strength to respond in ways that bring love to places where the image of God is being violated. We need 
to know ourselves that we are loved. We need to know that we are held in wonder and in awe. We must have that spiritual strength of beauty and joy and faith inside of us. That clear, flowing water to energize our words and our actions. So I have a question that may seem like a strange question for today. But this was a question that was asked by the foundation that made the sabbatical grant to our church. And the question they asked was, what makes your heart sing? What makes your heart sing? What makes your being tingle with delight and come to life? What awakens in you beauty and awe and joy? For me, you all know that it is the icons, those little wooden or giant wooden panels on which images are painted icons of God or Mary or the saints and quirky stories that are wonderful and that as a Protestant we've never heard before because John Calvin was absolutely opposed to images. And John Calvin's institute, he wrote not one, not two, but three chapters railing against images to be presented in any church, not on wooden panels, not in wall paintings, not in mosaics. I wonder what Calvin would think of our beautiful stained glass windows. Were they too are icons of God with incredible stories of all the heroes in our faith and even St. Francis of Assisi. Icons, these sacred art, understand that Jesus is the icon of God that we are icons of God, earthly, tangible representations of God on earth. And what touches me most about the icons, just like the stained glass windows moved us, is that they are beautiful. There is this red that comes from the mineral cinnabar which is just a great word in itself, cinnabar. And this cinnabar mineral creates this color that is this incredibly vibrant red. And when I look at it, every time I see it, I'm just amazed that there is that color in the world. And it is a favorite among icon painters, and I love it. 
when I see the gold and the blues and the brush stroke that can just in a single stroke make an eye and bring that image to life I am utterly amazed and taken over I am filled with such awe at the beauty and the creativity and the way in which people for hundreds of years have given honor to God and found a way to tangibly hold on to something. We have seen many icons this week. We have seen icons not of love, but icons of hate. We know what the torches mean. We know what the flags mean. And they make our hearts hurt. Physically hurt. So what makes your heart sing? What makes your heart leap for joy? What gives you that spiritual energy that you can hold on to in the face of these icons of hate? The icon that is on the front of the bulletin is one of my absolute favorites. And maybe you saw it if you went to St. Nicholas Orthodox Cathedral over on Massachusetts. This icon of the resurrected Christ. Jesus is standing on the gates of hell. It's all beautifully metaphorical. And Jesus is pulling Adam and Eve out of their coffins. Jesus is literally pulling humanity out of hell. And this is an icon that I so need to see an image, an icon of God pulling people out of hell. And it helps me pray. It helps me pray for you. For when people are depressed or lost in trouble or in grief or ill or our world is so troubled, I am helped in prayer by that icon of Jesus pulling people out of hell. I have that to hold on to, that beautiful moment. And I pray that you may have that too. Now, icons are all different. They may be a stone. They may be a flower. I open up books from my grandmother's bookshelf from the 19th century, and the page falls open to a flower that someone pressed between the pages of the book. And we wonder, what, what icon of love was that for them? What were they holding on to? We hold on to each other here because we are made in the image 
of God. We are icons of love meant to shine God's love, meant to hold on to one another. Our souls crave beauty. And that sense of God's energy. God will do anything to awaken God's presence in the world. Including showing a Presbyterian and Orthodox icon. When we see one another as icons of God when we see ourselves that way, we are able to respond in ways that are loving. I close with a story that comes from the events in Charlottesville. It is a story of the clergy and some church people who went to Charlottesville to protest They participated in nonviolence training. They were made well aware of the risks that they would be taking. They went to Emancipation Park, where the rally was to take place later that day, with their stoles and their crosses, their robes. They formed a line. And across from them, another line formed armed militia members with their camo jackets and their automatic weapons, semi-automatic guns, and they were staring right back at them. And after a while, the clergy knelt down one at a time, and they prayed, and they sang. And some of the white supremacists shouted in their faces, you really believe that? But there was a group of men who had been instructed not to talk to the press or protesters, but just to stand there and stare them down. And there was one clergywoman who stood across from this man for hours. And as he stared at her, she stared right back at him. And she must have been praying. And she was singing. She said that by the end of that time, when the clergy had to leave because of the escalating violence, she said, I just have one more thing to say to you. We love you. And in that moment, his face softened, and he said, I love you too. Amen.